This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. All right, so let's look tonight in James chapter 4. Let's pick up tonight with verse number 10. I want to read that in just a moment. We're coming off of the subject of how God will not interfere with our own personal will. I have said it like this many times on this particular subject. God will intervene in our life, but he will never interfere. God will intervene in our life when we, when it's according to his will, when we, the word says, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you, Matthew 6.33. I think there is a biblical principle and there is a spiritual chemistry involved in maintaining the favor and the blessing of the Lord. Just as easily as God can give a blessing, God can withhold a blessing. And in some cases, God can retract a blessing. And so when we put him first, when we seek to do his will, God has always honored his word. And he always honors the truth. God will never operate outside of his word, and he will never operate outside of the truth. And so when it comes to this thing about doing his will, remember God is never going to force us to do anything. And the premise of that scripture, do you remember we were talking in verse number eight, drawing nigh to God and he will draw nigh to us. That's his will. He wants us to be very close to him. He wants us to have an intimate, personal, first of all, relationship with him. And that is given at the cross. When we receive the Lord Jesus as our Savior, we are born, baptized into the body of Christ. We become joint heirs with him. The old song says, I'm so glad that I'm a part of the family of God. That's what takes place with the new birth. And that begins our relationship with the Lord. But then following relationship, there has to be fellowship. And that's where God wants us to be. He wants us to be close to him as we possibly can be. So we're coming off of that subject in James chapter 8 and uh, verse number 9. And now tonight we pick up with verse number 10. The word says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. And the key word tonight that we're going to study in this particular passage in verse number 10 is the word humble. And maybe you want to underline that particular word. I want to reference two scriptures tonight dealing with this word humble, and I could give you many, but I don't want to stay a long time on this verse. Uh, There's some other real important truths that I want to show you uh, this evening, time permitting, but I'm going to ask you to turn to two scriptures because I do want to touch briefly on it. The first one is found in First Peter. And I want you to see this in First Peter chapter 5. And I want you to look at verse number 5. Keeping in mind that we're talking about the word humble and how does that fit into our lifestyle as believers. 
In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 5, the word says, Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject or subject one to another and be clothed, look at this, be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Well, that sounds just like verse number six in James chapter four, when James says, he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. And so Peter is using an echo to what James had to say. But I want you to see another verse in Luke, the gospel of Luke chapter 14. And let's look at verse number 11. I'm going to get you to use your Bibles tonight. So uh, some of you that are at, at the house, you may not have the privilege or luxury to see everything clearly on the screens from where you are looking on your uh, laptop or whatever it is that you're watching the service on tonight. So I do want to ask you to use your Bible. Write down these scriptures and uh, follow along carefully with us. In Luke chapter 14, verse 11, the word says, For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased. That uh, Greek word abased means to be lowered or to be brought down. And it says this, And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And that's a biblical truth. It's a biblical principle of how the Lord gives and how the Lord takes away. How the Lord blesses, how he can at times retract a designated blessing. Man, I would hate to think that I had a truckload of blessings on the highway of heaven that were destined for my life and for some unforeseen reason, I sidestepped the will of God and God said to the Holy Spirit, oh yeah, whoa, 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 hold off on that. God can take blessings. God can give blessings. Malachi 3 exclusively talks about that. But with this thing about being humble, there are a couple of things that I want to bring out on that one thought. And that is this, the only way that we can be humble in the journey, in our Christian experience, is to allow ourselves to be broken on the altar of God frequently. It is possible that we can develop through callousness, coldness, indifference. There are things that we can allow to creep into our life that does indeed build a barrier between the fellowship that we have between us and God and then between us as brothers and sisters. When we allow those things to fester between us and God, you think about the seriousness, the consequence of that. And when we, we distance ourselves, we talked a lot about that in verse number six, when we distance ourselves from God and a spirit of coldness comes in. Our hearts become callous. For example, we're no longer sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We, we believe in the Holy Spirit. We can't get around the subject 
that there is a big difference in believing and really believing because the word says that even the devils believe and tremble. So there is a place in our life where we can distance ourselves so far from God, distance ourselves so far from his word, distance ourselves so far from his will that the things of God are not warm in our spirit anymore. We're not sensitive anymore. We don't see the importance of things that we saw and felt when we were living. You remember the old song that says, Jesus, keep me near the cross, there's a precious fountain. When we start living away from the cross, and like Simon Peter on the day of crucifixion, the Bible says, and he followed afar off. Sure, none of us can lose our salvation. Once we're saved, we're born sealed into the day of redemption. But we can't lose fellowship. And when we lose fellowship, we can lose blessing. When we lose blessing, we lose opportunity. It's like a domino effect. And so we cannot allow ourselves to become so cold and, and unmoved with the will of God. For example, in times like these, we cannot allow ourselves to be so distanced so cold and so callous that the work of God, the church of God, doesn't mean to us what it used to mean. I mean, you think about it. Before COVID came into our lives, before we even knew the words social distancing, we had no idea what that meant. I remember where, where I was the first time I ever heard that word, and somebody said to me about the they had heard it before I didn't. I said, what are you talking about? You think about it. When we would come in here on Sunday mornings and this place would be filled, you, you could just feel the warmth oozing from the pew to the ceiling and everywhere bouncing off. When we were hugging and we were shaking hands and we were in close fellowship with one another, you know what I'm talking about. You could sense and feel that warmth, that, that, uh, that closeness in the word. When the word says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, we, we, we knew what it meant to be in church. Now, there is a good potential that several folks that were coming just will be content with Bedside Baptist and never come back again. You think about that. The further we get from the Word, the further we get from the church, the further we get from God's will, the more easy it is to be cold and indifferent and calloused to where we're no longer sensitive the way to maintain this is to put yourself in a position like the song said, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. And one of the best ways to do that is to make yourself available to be broken and poured out on the altar of God routinely and ask God to do something in your heart, not just in your atmosphere, not just in your circumstances, but ask God to do something in your heart. When we are broken, and I don't mean this, listen carefully, I'm not talking about walking around defeated. I'm not talking about walking around like we've lost the battle and uh, we're living in doomsday and everything that's going on in the country uh, is just uh, gloom and doom. I'm not talking about walking around as, as a Christian, as a believer with that kind of countenance, because I will tell you this, the poorest testimony for a born-again believer to have 
is to walk around with a soured attitude and a soured face before the world. We, we have to remember this. We are a walking billboard for Jesus. And in our life, God puts people in our pathway. And the truth of the matter is we may be the only Jesus that they ever, ever see. And if we're not where we need to be, if we're not warm, and if we're not close, if we're cold and indifferent and calloused, you think about the significant retreat that we'll have in our life. So I'm not talking about when I, when I say we need to have a broken spirit and we need to pour ourselves out on the altar of God, doesn't mean that we need to walk around depressed. It doesn't mean that we need to walk around cast down, trodden upon. We need to maintain in these days, especially these last days, this fighting spirit. People need to see that there is a difference in our life and the life that we have in Christ. So here's the thing. When we are broken, when we're humbled, that's what verse number 10 is talking about. When we are humbled before the Lord, not depressed, not cast down, not trodden upon. When we're humble. We, we put ourselves in the position for the Holy Spirit to work with. And that's probably the greatest place you can be in life when you put yourself in a position for God, the Holy Spirit, to work with. That comes through sanctification. That's a daily process, and that's another message, another day. But listen carefully. Our attitude, our outlook, our words, all of these kinds of emotions has a significant effect not only on us personally, but also to the world before us. And I want us to think about this just for a minute because it doesn't benefit anything in the kingdom of God for us to be soured, cold, calloused, indifferent, insensitive. We have to remember that. If we... Here's the thing. If we allow the Holy Spirit to keep us in a place where we are routinely on extra high sensitivity with heaven and at the drop of a hat, at any moment, God can prick our heart. God can speak to our heart. God can move our heart. And we don't have to be so far away from him that we have to say, whoa, what are you talking about? What did you say? We can be so close to the word. We can be so close to the work. We can be so close to the church. We can be so close to the Holy Spirit that instead of saying, what what are you saying to me, God? We can say, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. Do you remember what Eli told the young child, Samuel? after he was interrupted three times during the middle of the night, Samuel kept running to the priest and said, what are you talking about? Are you calling me? I heard my name. And Eli, the priest said, it's not me. And he said the third time, he said, if you hear that voice one more time, you speak these words, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. I'm afraid that over the last few months that as a whole, and I'm not talking about just Buford Road, but I'm talking about the body of Christ. Sure, you have your prayer time. I would hope and pray. I hope and pray you're staying in the word. You're being sensitive to the work. But as a whole, 
There's no doubt in my mind because of circumstances that are not welcomed but are necessary. There, the body of Christ has moved from the cross and has moved from this place of sensitivity where the Holy Spirit has our undivided attention. The bottom line is this. We do want people to see Jesus in us. We do want the Holy Spirit to have the freedom and the liberty to work in our hearts and our lives. I want that. And I'm sure you want that. We want him to use us for his glory. When we lay ourselves on the altar, you remember what Jacob said in the wrestling of the early hours of the night, morning. Remember what the word says that he grabbed a hold of the horns on the altar and he said this to the angel he was wrestling with. He said, I will not let you go until you bless me. I just wonder how many of us are willing to wait on God with a significant amount of time and effort to say that to the Lord. Our behavior means everything. How we respond to things, how we react to things reveals our character because I believe that when we are broken and spilled out upon the altar, people notice our sensitivity. You want to know who I believe is one of the most sensitive people on the planet. And I have felt this way as long as I've known him. That's Brother Kevin Brown. Brother Kevin Brown is one of the most sensitive individuals that I know on the earth. And I've said many times in this church, half full, some full, full to capacity, I told you this, that if he was living in the days of Jesus, his name would have been John. There's no doubt in my mind. That man has a has such a humble spirit about him. I, I wish it were contagious. I wish that that it was infectious. But I want you to think about this. When we're humbled, God honors that. And God will lift us up. I wrote a book. I was looking at... Uh, and I've just finished my Bible prophecy series and I've told you a lot about volume one, volume two, and the twinkling of an eye. I'm not going to go into that tonight, but this particular book I have out on the countertop, it's not there all year long, but I looked at it because I couldn't remember. Honestly, I couldn't remember. I looked in the first part of the book tonight and uh, the, the year that I wrote this book was in 1992. The second edition went out in 2003. But the name of this book has a long title on it. My hair still black, or partly anyway. That tells you about how long ago that was. But the book is entitled, The Power to Overcome the Nine Most Committed Sins in the Local Church. I would recommend everybody have this. It is impacted with scripture that helps us to maintain a broken spirit with God. This book, listen, if you can read this book and you you can put it down and it not affect you with Scripture, the impact of Scripture, I, I don't know what else can. Now, this is not a bestseller. This is not in the stores around the country, but it's available to you. I put a lot of time and effort in here, but it, it talks about our behavior. It helps us to maintain this broken spirit that we're talking about. 
in verse number 10. All right, so look at this again. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Now, this is very important, verse number 11, because the first part of this verse is talking about restraining from backbiting and criticizing, speaking against people. The word says this, speak not evil one of another, brethren. Well, preacher, what, what if they say this and what if they do that? And, and what, what if this happened many years ago and we just can't get beyond that? Well, let me remind you of something. Do you remember the message Sunday? We started the new series when he spoke and we were talking about forgiveness and how important forgiveness is. I didn't have time to bring out everything about that sermon that I wanted to, but I will tell you this. If if we're unwilling to forgive, And we're going to be so bogged down with the issue, with the troubles, with the past. And we're not going to be able to really be set free from that. Forgiveness is not excusing a situation because all situations have consequences. So when you forgive somebody, you're not excusing them. When you forgive somebody, you are setting yourself free. Otherwise, you'll be locked in the prison of misery forever. But look at the scripture. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother. And and this verse is very high tech, maybe is a word I could use. It's very elevated. It's impacted with a lot of thought. A lot of scripture we'll see in a minute. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother. I want you to underline the word judgeth. I'm not going to uh, pick out every word of this verse because I believe that we can narrow it down and have a great study from this one word, look at this, and judgeth his brother, underline the word judgeth, speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. We can can hurt our own spiritual life when we become the judge of other people. We have to remember this. That whatever people say, whatever people do, again, forgiveness is not just excusing them. This was the first thing Jesus said on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. By the way, this coming Sunday, I'm going to be preaching sermon number two when he spoke. And he spoke to the thief and he said this, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now let me clarify something for you. This is put on pause and let me give you something else here just for a minute. Just like the bottomless pit and hell are two different places. Paradise. This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. Where was paradise? Where was paradise? 
what is paradise. God willing, I will talk about those subjects on Sunday morning. This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. It's going to be an interesting subject. I hope that you'll come. But getting back to the first thing he said, Father, forgive them. Forgiveness is enormous. And the last thing that any of us want to do or should do is to appoint ourselves the judge and jury and the executioner of anybody's life. We have to remember, and I've said this many, many times, one of these days when I'm on the other side of Jordan, if Jesus tarries his coming, maybe you'll remember one or two things I said. And maybe, just maybe you'll remember this because I've said it a thousand times. There is only one Holy Spirit. Only one. I cannot be your Holy Spirit and you cannot be my Holy Spirit. You see, judgment is not up to me. And I, I've run into a dime a dozen of people that say, oh, preacher, no, we ought to look at people's lives. We ought to judge what they say, what they do. Listen, God's not, he's, he's allowed us to be fruit inspectors. You should know them by the fruit. He's allowed that. But he's not appointed any of us to be anybody's judge. None of us. There's only one Holy Spirit, and it's the Holy Spirit that moves with conviction and does the judging. Judgment is not our job. In fact, when it comes to others, if you want to judge somebody, judge yourself, but certainly not anybody else. And I want to show you that scripture. We use it frequently when we have communion. And while you're turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I want to bring this out to you because uh, this, is, this is a passage of scripture that we have referred to many, many times when we have communion. We're going to have communion, Lord willing, on Palm Sunday, we'll do it a little different than what we have done by the way of tradition. And I'm convinced that traditions get in the way of God many, many times. So it's not, it's not uh, unusual or wrong to step outside the box and do things that are not tradition. Scripture, we have to do. But uh, traditions, I'm not much on that. Now look at this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 31, the Bible says this. Here's the point. If we're going to set ourselves up as a judge, we better be the only person that we're judging and certainly not anybody else. Here's the scripture. For if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Do you know what that means? It means this. That when, if we spend time worrying about ourselves, you'll find out it's a full-time job and you won't have time to worry about what anybody else is doing. It's a full-time job for this man to keep this man straight on the path. It's a full-time job. I don't have time to point out anybody else's fault. We'll talk about that in just a minute. And I certainly don't have Time to be anybody's judge. The, the principle is this, is that if 
if I'm living close to the cross and I'm close to the word and I'm broken and spilled out on the altar and I'm sensitive to the Holy Spirit, if I get out of the straight and narrow and the word of God begins to prick my heart and the Holy Spirit says this, hey, you ought not to be there. You ought not to say that. You ought not to do that. You ought not to be moving this fast or you ought not to be going this slow. Whatever the Holy Spirit says to me, you need to get back in the straight and narrow. If I'm sensitive to him, I will step back and the Holy Spirit through his word will begin to show me where I have gone wrong. And it's through that element of conviction that I can say, forgive me, Lord. Forgive me of thinking that. Forgive me of saying that. Forgive me of moving this way maybe a little too fast or this way a little too slow. Forgive me, Lord. And if I judge myself, by that I mean this, if we acknowledge where we're wrong, And not only say, yes, I'm wrong, but Holy Spirit, help me. I confess it. I repent of it. And I want to get back to my first love, as we read in Ephesians. We want to get back to the first love. God, bring me back to the place where I had joy in my heart, joy in people. Bring me back to the first love, God. When I woke up in the morning craving your word, when I woke up wanting to pray, when I woke up wanting to be in the throne room of heaven, when I woke up just wanting to be near you, before my feet hit the floor every morning. And I pray multiple times throughout the day, but I have a personal time with God. Shortly after I wake up and get started with my day and I'm ready to come to the office, before I do that, I told you that Gail and I have our devotions every morning. She reads the scripture, I read the devotions. We take prayer requests with each other and then we pray. But before my feet hit the floor every morning, This is what I say, something similar to this. Good morning, Heavenly Father. I want to praise you today for who you are. You are the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last. You are the Lord God Almighty and there is none else but you. You are the great I Am. Good morning, precious Savior. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the Messiah. You are the only begotten Son of God. You're the Savior of the world. You are the Prince of Peace. Good morning, Holy Spirit. You are the great comforter. You are the great intercessor. You are the great leader and guide of truth. And I want to thank you, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, for giving me another day and an opportunity that I have to serve you. Then I say this, God, I not only want to thank you for bringing me and my family safely through this night, but because I have not been awoken in the middle of a night where my father has dropped dead with a heart attack or my mother, I say, God, I want to thank you for extending to my mother and father another day of grace and mercy in Jesus' name. And then after that, I have another special prayer time just for myself. I pray a prayer similar to this before I even get out of the bed. But then before I even get to the devotional time with Gail and I, I pray something like this. 
Heavenly Father, I come to you today in the precious name of Jesus. I come to you today in the power of the name of Jesus. I come to you in the power of the blood of Jesus. I come to you in the power of the death of Jesus. I come to you in the power of the resurrection of Jesus. I come to you in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe the word. Seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. And God, I pray the prayer of prosperity you have said in your word to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Next, Lord, I pray, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. I'm longing and I'm waiting for you to return. And then shortly after I finish that prayer, then I move on to the time that Gail and I have prayer. And the reason why I'm telling you all of this is to say, this is not a chore for me. This is not what I would even call a ritual. I certainly do not want them to be received of God as vain repetitions. But it keeps me humble. It keeps me in a place where I'm willing to be broken and spilled out, where I'm willing to hear from heaven. I want to be just as close to him as I can be. And so when I read this scripture here, if I'm going to be that close to him, I can't be your judge. I've got too much to worry about with me. And if I'm going to invest that kind of prayer life into my life, you can understand that in between all of that, from daylight to dark, there's Bible reading, there's Wednesday night sermons to prepare, there's Sunday sermons to prepare, there's counseling, there's all kinds of things. But I have to be humble and certainly not to be anyone's judge. For if we would judge ourselves, verse 31, we should not be judged. Now, I have time for one more scripture. And this is certainly not going to bring a conclusion to this thought tonight. But I do want to get to it before we leave. We'll pick up on this theme, on this subject next week, Lord willing. But I want you to see another verse about judging and how it's not acceptable to God. In Matthew chapter 7, I want you to see this in verses 1 through 3. And by the way, this, this is a parable of Jesus. It's in relationship to the great Sermon on the Mount. But I want you to see this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. Keeping in mind now the scriptures that we've just previously read, you make these addendums to what you're working with on your notes. The word says, judge not that you be not judged. See, when we judge ourselves, we're not chastened of the Lord. Because when we judge ourselves, we are acknowledging where we're wrong. We are confessing, we're repenting, and we are turning around. So we're not continuing in those wayward ways. We've judged ourselves. Yes, preacher, you're wrong. And you don't need to be in this spot. You need to be here. And when I have brought that judgment on myself... The word says that God doesn't have to chastise me because I've surrendered to the wooing and the leading and the beckoning of the Holy Spirit. Now look at this. Judge not that you be not judged. 
For with what judgment, if I bypass this incredible Bible principle, if I'm going to say in a puffed up spirit, well, I don't care, I don't care what the word says. And believe me, there have been people that have walked in this church in Sunday school classes that has actually looked into a Sunday school teacher's eyes and said, I don't care what the Bible says, this, that, and the other. And folks, let me tell you this. If we ever get to that place, God will write Ichabod on our life. Do you know what the word Ichabod means in the Old Testament? The glory has departed. And that's what God will do with us. He'll put us on a shelf. He won't steal your salvation. He won't make you not saved. But he'll write Ichabod on your life if you keep doing that stuff with him and put you on a shelf and the glory will depart. But look at this. For with what judgment you judge, if I bypass what I need to do and don't judge myself and bring myself to the foot of the cross, and I say, I don't care what he said, what he does, nothing will ever change my mind. It is what it is. Look at this. If I refuse to do what the Lord says and I continue to press on in that manner, for with what judgment you judge, look at this, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And I'm going to read verse 3 and we'll pick up. I'm going to explain verse 3 to you next Wednesday night. Verse 3 says this. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? That my brother and sister, is a powerful verse of Scripture. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.